Come and dream with me. Hello and welcome to What Do You Want to Watch? The Explosion Network's premier media podcast. Every fortnight we get together to talk about movies, TV and online content and help you answer the question, how long before everything gets delayed again? Probably not that far away. Now, it's I- happened. Just Delta, you know? <laughs> bloody what Delta. do Miss Bloody Goodrum. I know. Put out an album, you lazy fuck. <laughs> yeah. I'm your host, Ashley Obley. Joining me this episode, Dylan Blight. Hello, happy to be here to talk about what do you want to watch? What do you want to watch? I stuff. appreciate you losing all our Delta Goodrum fans. Sorry, How many's Shannon. left? Really? Shannon's a big Delta really? fan. Okay, there you go. The one. Uh, a lot of stuff to talk about in today's show. We'll be going through what's in our watch history, doing some film and TV news, giving some thumbs to trailers, and we'll do this week's top three. Uh, kick it off with a couple of things that we've got content for already. Uh, Jungle Cruise came out uh, back on the 5th. Yeah, it feels a while ago, but yeah, we did a spoiler cast, which you can find on this What Do You Want to Watch feed. But Dylan, do you want to give people your quick thoughts? Uh, it's all right. It's, um, I personally thought that Dwayne The Rock Johnson was miscast. Uh, not that he's like terrible in it. I just kind of feel like I would have preferred someone else in that, in that part for that movie. And it would have enhanced my viewing. I could have brought into the character and the relationships that character forms a, a little bit easier. Otherwise, Emily Blunt's really good in it. And, uh, Jack, what's it? Whitehall? Wh- yep. Whitehall? Whitehall? There you go. Hall. Uh, Hall? Yeah. There you go. Those two are the stars. They're the best part of it. Um, otherwise it's your typical sort of, was it, is it cross between like, um, what, what is it cross between, was that movie? The, the Emerald Stone thing? Romancing the Stone. It's cross between Romancing Stone and National Treasure. There you go. Yep. That's what it feels like, like, like tonal and like thematically. I guess. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed it as well. I don't think it's a fantastic film, I think, but you know. It's long, I think, was the main complaint we had. I think it just goes on a bit too long. Um, But if you're a fan of Pirates of the Caribbean, this is just Pirates of the Caribbean, but in a river. So really limiting themselves (laughs) down to a river from the giant ocean. You know, but you know what they say? Limiting yourself helps with creativity occasionally. So, yeah. Check it out. Jungle Cruise, obviously, in the cinemas and on Disney Premier Access. Uh, the big release from this past week, The Suicide Squad, Dylan, you got a review up on ExplosionNumber.com. You gave it an 8. Do you want to elaborate on your feelings about The Suicide Squad? The um, Suicide Squad. The Suicide Squad. Uh, it's really good. It's pretty much everything I would have wanted from the movie. I I think it kind of... I mean, I'm kind of nitpicking when I get to negatives. I think it has like a little bit in the middle where it feels... Like, it starts really sort of like, wow, this is so different. And then I guess the middle part just sort of feels like somewhat formulaic at times, but you're still enjoying it because of the characters and the ending sort of crazy, but still feels like the ending of a typical superhero movie to, to a degree or whatever else. So it just like mixes and matches between particular stuff. But I think it's really good that James Gunn, the one thing I was afraid of is watching it and I just feel like it's just James Gunn doing just like molding what he did for Guardians to the Suicide Squad, which... You know, there was always a chance it could come across that sort of way. There are some plot elements and like character relationships that I feel, um, 
I particularly pointed out the relationship between Idris Elba's Bloodsport and um, what's the fucking name? Ratcatcher Two. Yeah, Ratcatcher Two. Uh, Danny, Daniela Mil- Milcor, Milcor. Ratcatcher Two. They have like uh, a relationship that they build that's like this sort of like father figure dynamic thing or whatever that reminded me of something they do in Guardians of the Galaxy Two to a degree. That felt like him like doing it again, but. Uh, better and it actually works in this movie whereas I don't really like Guardians 2 so that's a thing <laughs> um, it's really violent I think the opening act could turn some people off just because of how violent it is like it's sort of really in your face um, which I appreciated I guess that's like James Gunn sort of coming back to his horror part um, other things of course is that I never liked I hated Margot Robbie playing Harley Quinn in the first the original Suicide Squad movie and I only actually came around as her playing that part in Birds of Prey. This feels like a nice, even sort of step back where, much like she is in the comic books of the Suicide Squad, she's she's not the star. She's never the lead of that team. She's always sort of the side character in the Suicide Squad, mostly. And that's what she feels like here to a degree. She's not the main character. She's like that, I guess, you know, second tier of characters. Not the, I wouldn't say she's in the A tier. She's not like one of the key, most important people. Well, she is. She's like top five, obviously, but not. I don't think she's like. She's got a C arc. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Which is which is good, and I definitely enjoyed her more in this. It doesn't feel like her Birds of Prey Harley, but it doesn't feel like it's not connected or couldn't be the same character. It just feels like this is a movie that's not actually about her or those characters, and so there's not too much focus given to that. Um, Idris Elba's really good in this. I think that Bloodsport's basically doing Deadshot again to a degree, his character and stuff, like the first movie. Like, there's a similar sort of thing there about um, his child, similar to Deadshot having a thing for his child and all this this sort of thing. But Idris Elba's, like, way more likable and you buy into his dynamic and you actually really want to spend another movie of him by the time you reach the end, whereas I didn't give two shit about Will Smith coming back personally. Um, John Cena's having a fucking bowl... <laughs> He's just having the best time of his life, I swear. Uh, Joel Kinnaman is so much better in this movie. You actually really like him in this role in this movie. He doesn't just come across as this stereotypical army dude bro that's just douchey. He comes across as someone who actually has feelings and, you know, like actually wants to do good in the world. So that, and he's actually quite charming in this. Uh, I mean, there's a whole list. Via Davis is, of course, just still a bitch, but that's kind of the, the role of Amanda Waller that she's playing, but she does it so well. Bunch of the side characters really good. There's so many people in this movie, it's hard to mention everyone. But yeah, my favorite character is actually, um, was actually Ratcatcher 2. I think that the Daniela Mel- Melchior, or Melchior, I'm not sure how to pronounce her name. I think she's going to be the blow up for this movie. And, or at least maybe not critically, or maybe, maybe not with main audience, because I feel like main audience thing is everyone's going to love, um, King Shark. That's going to be the, the walkway. That's going to be the, the character everyone, laughs at the most because king shark shelf is very funny sylvester stallone doing that voice just works so well but if i was to pick like an uh an actor that's sort of going to blow up out of this one it has to be her because i just thought she was so good so charming so lovable and like sort of the heart of the movie um and then also david dust dust mushroom or however you say his name polka dot man surprisingly is also one of the best characters and actors in the movie i thought he has some like really good parts and James Gunn somehow manages to make Polka Dot Man a uh, likable, interesting character to a degree. But um, yeah, it's it's a ridiculous movie, but it it's both 
it proves that you can do these DC movies where they are both very violent, very dark at times, but also just ridiculous and silly and knows how to laugh as itself. And like, I don't know. I thought it was really, really good. I'd happily go watch it again. I just, just enjoyable two, two and a bit hours, whatever, just flew by. I was, I was totally into it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it as well. Uh, like you said, very violent, very funny at times, uh, but with just enough heart. I think there's like a couple of pacing problems. Like everybody, the need to, f- the f- the feeling that they need to cover everybody's kind of backstories at least a little bit, I felt like was kind of forced at points. Uh, but, you know, they they deliver on the Suicide Squad, like being suicide ish uh with a couple of violent deaths to members of the squad not everybody survives um and i really like that they just jump straight in they just you know it feels like you're starting a brand new run of a comic book rather than feeling you're just coming off the last film you know um, I don't think it's a spoiler to say, but I just love at the start how they're just like getting in the plane and Captain Boomerang's there and then Harley shows up and obviously she's just got captured or whatever. And uh, she's like, hey, Boomerang, it's like, Harley, what are you doing back here? <laughs> oh, like, I'm, you know, like I got caught again or, you know, something <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah, so just the implication is obviously this Task Force X has been going on for a while since the 2016 film. Um, and that's cool. I, I, yeah, just all the pieces kind of went together perfectly. You know, it was a lot of fun, uh, cool sequences, all the lots of interesting characters, even though some we didn't get enough time with and that kind of thing. Um, like you said, I enjoyed Marco Robbie here. She's definitely not, it's not Birds of Prey, but, you know, it's still a better iteration of Harley Quinn than Suicide Squad. She doesn't uh, have ridiculous outfits. Her character isn't just played for boy teen pornography reasons. It's like she's just, you know, no. it's like such an improvement of having just rewatched the first, the original Suicide Squad. Yeah. Um, you know, and she gets, she get, there's a few moments to shine, and like, there's some cool action sequences in this as well, um, and that kind of stuff. And somehow they managed to pull off the concept of Star of the Conqueror in this movie. <laughs> a ridiculous idea. I was also going to say, I was really impressed with the CGI in this movie. Like, I thought the end, without spoiling it, like, what they're doing in the end, there was times where I was, like, looking at the detail and, and stuff of the CGI, and I was like, God, this is pretty fucking good, but this looks pretty good for how ridiculous that thing is and how your brain should be, like, not computing what you're looking at kind of thing, but it, it looks really good, I thought. Yeah, absolutely. And King Shark. And King Shark, I mean... Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, and, the rat, a- and and rat catches rat. Sebastian, uh, what the f- Sebastian? Also, given the award there, <laughs> all yeah. the CGI was good. Yeah. All the CGI was great. Yeah, King Shark stole scenes. You know, hand peacemaker. Hand. <laughs> you wouldn't friend. Need, you wouldn't need a friend. Uh. <laughs> no friends. <laughs> no friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so pretty fantastic. Uh, so yeah, if you can see safely see the Suicide Squad in cinemas, you know, go see it. You know, pay money for it. Do it legally. Shout out <laughs> to people who did. <laughs> uh, Dylan, you reviewed uh, a new film that's just come to Shudder. Jacob's Wife. Oh yeah, I really, I thought this was a lot of fun. This is a, this is a, I gave it seven reviews on the website, of course. It's, um, stars Barbara Compton and Larry Fenzenden, Fenz- who are like two sort of like, uh, horror icons for 
you know, people who care about horror, I'm sure you don't know who the hell they are, but um, this is a movie in which, so the basic plot is that uh, Larry plays a pastor, who's Jacob, and then Barbara plays uh, his wife, and early in the movie they sort of imply this whole thing where, you know, like, she's just the sort of background wife, you know, people come to her husband because he's a pastor and like, hey, can I have your opinion? And then it starts with a scene where someone that starts like, asking for this with their daughter or whatever, help with their daughter. And she goes to say something and everyone's sort of like cuts her off or, you know, doesn't really want to hear her opinion. They want the pastor's opinion because he's got the word of God and all that sort of thing. So, um, and then early in the movie, she meets up with an old fling from high school who she's like working on a business deal with or whatever. And then they go to, they sort of sneak away into this warehouse that they were talking about buying out or whatever. She starts making out with him. It's like, oh no, what is going to happen here? The poor, poor thing. Anyway, lo and behold, a vampire jumps out, attacks everyone, as they, as do, they do, you know, as yeah. they do. Uh, so she gets bitten, and then she heads home. And then from there, you've got this thing in the movie where, of course, she's now a vampire, and her husband's a pastor, and how she's, like, sort of hiding this, or not even really trying to hide this. And the movie has a very obvious sort of, um, not yeah, very, it's very not so, very obvious, uh, open sort of, I guess, feminism undertone of like uh overcoming oppressiveness and and stuff like that and that's sort of like her getting this becoming a vampire gives her the the i guess the the will or whatever to push past so it starts very simple and it's, it's sort of ridiculously on the nose but like the morning after she wakes up from being a vampire jacob wakes up rolls over comes downstairs and is like oh where's breakfast and she's just like in doing like exercises or something on a treadmill bike and she's like do you feel like making it for you today or something like that and he's like oh i guess i'll just not eat then you know like the, the whole like so it starts simple it's very on the nose of just like so i'm not giving a fuck anymore and uh eventually we do get the kills of course because there's a horror movie and vampire movie and vampires need to feed and the kills are very exciting because they're not really they're not gross out yucky vampire kills they're Oh, you got bit in the neck. Here's about 20 fucking liters of blood that spurts out of your neck. It's like that really over-the-top vampire blood kills, which um, are quite fun. And they don't really do anymore because it just is almost silly, but um, it was quite fun. The performances are really, really good, though. That's sort of what holds the film together. I thought uh, both Barbara and Larry give these really good performances. They really sell the movie and its and topics, and you can tell they're having a lot of fun as well. So, yeah, check it out and shut up. I quite enjoyed it. Uh, and CM Punk's in it for you WWE fans. He plays like a sheriff's deputy or whatever, and it's quite. He has like a silly haircut and whatever else. It's quite fun. <laughs> also on Shutter, you checked out the first couple of episodes of Slasher: Flesh and Blood. Um, yeah, I should have a review. Oh no, that will be out by the time. No, yeah, that should be out by the time. The review should be up for both these by the time up. Um, so I haven't watched this show before. It's an anthology series, so it doesn't really matter, but. Um, it's jumped around over the years, which is the the weird thing. Like it started on some channel or whatever, like didn't have that much money, and then it moved over to Netflix, and now it's moved over to Shutter, and that's where they're doing the, the latest one. Uh, but the the core concept for the show is anthology series where each one's about a different slasher killer, you know, like a typical eighties horror movie slasher. Uh, the latest season, I've got to watch the first two episodes because it has a two episode like opening, and then it's week by week from now on or whatever. Uh, it's every character sucks. I can't wait for them all to die, but it's basically like knives out 
but a horror movie to a degree because it's this family who are called to like their rich island that they own or whatever and they're really rich and david cronenberg the horror legend icon director writer himself plays the the leader of the family uh and he invites them all down and is like oh we're gonna play like a game to figure out who like gets my money when i die and all this sort of stuff and that's kind of weird on its own and then of course there's a killer on the island where did the killer come from and the kills start, start really fast but much like watching knives out you quickly realize that basically all the characters suck they're all rich spoiled pricks um there's like one or two who i'm hoping will survive and presuming they'll survive because i'm like if anyone else survives of these people they all suck so i'm quite happy but it also means it's a horror thing i'm watching where um and at the the, the end of the second episode had a really fucked up kill that was actually more gruesome than anything i saw in the last saw movie like to add comparison to I was like, you know what, that's given for it's a streaming show and it doesn't have that big of a budget. I mean, it wasn't highly inventive. I've seen the same sort of kill done a couple of times. But I mean, it's one of those ones that if you shoot it right and you, you know, people are screaming in pain and it's happening, I'm like, that's fucked up. But um, so you sold that well. Uh, but acting at times is kind of corny. I think it's done on purpose. And the editing also with the music gives me like at times midday um drama what do you call those sorts of shows you know like the midday um melodrama type Daytime things you know, the, yeah it gives like the editing and the music and the way it sort of like fades in and the camera angles and at times i'm like it's got this daytime soap thing happening to it which i find a bit weird but the acting i can look past at times because i, I kind of feel like it has it's done on purpose just to play into like sort of b-movie-ish type thing and the dialogue or whatever and it, it kind of works for, for what it is but um yeah i'm keen to see how it goes and Hopefully watch the rest of these people die. It's only eight episodes, so um, we're already two episodes down by the time it comes out, which is, I think it starts next week, or no, does it start later this week? I don't remember. Oh, I, must, I think it starts this Friday. It's yeah, I think it comes out so. this Friday, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. That's, uh, yeah, for horror fans, yeah. It's different to, like, American Horror Story because it's focused on actual, like, straight up just, you know, slasher killer compared to American Horror Story is usually, like, more, like, weird just thriller like weird off-putting weird things or whatever cool uh so currently the melbourne international film festival is going on uh kind of as far as i can tell <laughs> you know as much as you can with lockdown uh but it, there is currently melbourne international film festival play or move play currently available to watch a lot of the uh, a selection of films online uh dylan you've watched a couple of the ones that are available at the moment uh We'll start off with The Hill Where Lionesses Roar. Yeah, so quickly, um, Myth Online will run until, I think, the 22nd. Uh, they're still trying to do the normal Melbourne International Film Festival. They delayed it because of COVID, and then mm-hmm. they're still trying to do it properly in Melbourne where you can watch things like Pig in theatres, which, of course, I'm jealous about. If they want to let me stream Pig, Pig Annette. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's a bunch of different pretty big-named films. I'll happily pay to stream them if they want. If COVID continues, you know what I'm saying. I don't know if they're allowed to. You yeah. know. I don't know if they are. There's like a certain number of set ticket online tickets they can sell. I think. Yeah. I believe. But yeah, all the, even all the ones I've paid to watch is you know it says they all say like limited. I, they don't tell you how many tickets. Maybe they're not legally out there. I don't know. Anyway, um, the Hill with the Lioness Raw. So directed by Luna Bajrami, I think that's how you say her name. Who was, uh, she was one of the co-stars in Portrait of a Lady on Fire. She played like the, um, 
the handmaid, I guess, is what it was. She was like basically the third main character in it. She's not the two main girls, but the the handmaid who they or whatever they want to call it that worked there that want to spend a lot of time with. Um, she was real popular when that movie came out though, because I think she won like whatever cards or um, whichever one she won like one of those like best upcoming young actress or you know like from the whole film festival or whatever um so she's like only 20s i don't know she's like young 22 23 i think something like that so she's young um but given that age or whatever she's like no fuck it i'll try writing and directing as well and now we have this movie i'm like hmm, go girl uh so the plot is it's a french film i don't think it's even french it's in uh albanian right it's in albanian so, yeah, but it's a, it is a French film because she's French or whatever. Uh, but it's about these three girls, young adults, late teens. I don't know when. I think they're supposed to be like maybe somewhere between 18, 20 or something like that, possibly. But they're, so they're in this like small town, but fuck town. Um, they all sort of have their own problems and things happening in their lives. My only complaint, one of my key complaints about this movie, and I kind of get why it happened, is there's often sort of things like thrown at you like plot threads and we never go back to them and i think it's sort of done on purpose because it's supposed to be like give you the sort of vibe of like what's happening in these girls lives without ever the fact they don't really talk about it to one another or anything else like they have a scene with one of the girls who when she's like trying to leave her house early in the movie and her uncle like grabs her and is like you want to give your uncle a kiss and all this like very heavily implying that her uncle's like the creepy fucker you know this sort of thing and we find out later that her whole family um is dead so she's living with just her uncle and he's being creepy as fuck but we never come back to it so look at these things they want to escape town they want to they want to go to um college or university or whatever it is called they want to study their uh their family doesn't have the money their families aren't really supporting them in that endeavor like one of the other girls when she's complaining to her mother uh her mother's just like you know like your father's profit like you can just work at the salon the hair salon you know like this whole thing of like that's what you know you're a lady so how about you just do this you don't need to go study and become anything more um that's kind of they're fighting against the sort of what's been laid out for them in life i guess um and early on in the movie you see them like sort of hints that they are earning money on the side somehow and you don't really know what it is and i'm not gonna spoil it on case people decide to watch because it's quite enjoyable i did enjoy it um but they're they're doing some sort of criminal activity to get to get money and that, that sort of ramps up and you get to learn more as the the plot goes on that the sole purpose of this is they are trying to save money so they can pay for themselves to get a better education and do something larger in life um, but the movie for the most part is just sort of following them on their day-to-day lives um, there are a couple things that happen like one of them gets a boyfriend one of them um, there's a whole thing where um Shortly, where um, Luna Bajrami, whose name I'm probably slaughtering, um, she plays like a, a young girl at some stage in the movie. He's like a French, uh, she's like on holiday at like her family's home or whatever from France there or whatever. And one of the girls sort of has like a will they, won't they fling with her, like flirtation thing happening. So there is like some romance stuff happening, but um, there's not like the super evident plot of it. It is mostly just about these girls' lives and stuff, but it's shot really well. The acting's all really great, um, and I guess it's one of those things where you watch it, and because it's set in a part of the world I don't really watch movies in often, you do get that whole sort of, you feel like you're exploring and you going on a holiday, well, not really a holiday, but you know, like a, the movie transports you to 
to somewhere that you don't usually see because you, you mostly watch American movies or whatever. So that's really good. Yeah, I, I, I rate it. I'd probably give it somewhere between a 7.5 to an 8. Yeah, somewhere around there. If I thought harder about it, I'd decide. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. Uh, then you checked out local-ish film, <laughs> Coming Home in the Dark. This one was really good too. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll spoil it now. I, I haven't disliked any of these three movies I've watched so far. Okay, good. To know. Um, Coming Home in the Dark is a New Zealand film. New Zealand, it's a it says horror thriller in the genre thing, but it's basically just a thriller. There's not, there's, it's just there's not much horrific. There's just mostly just the thrill of what's happening. So, um, Daniel Gilly Gillies who is most famous for being in that Vampire Diaries original thing or whatever the hell it was. Um, he, and I can't, remember, I can't find the other actor's name, uh, Mah- Matthias Lefutu? Lefutu? Um, they sh- basically rock up on this family who are out having a picnic one day. Um, the, fa- the father's played by Eric Thompson. Who I was watching this, I'm going, I know this guy from somewhere. And I did beat him after. I'm like, oh, it's the dad from Pack to the Rafters. Right, shout out. And by the way, they're doing another season of that, or another. Yeah. They're doing back back to the rafters. They meant to, yeah, no. <laughs> they paused the they paused filming because of COVID in New South Wales. Is what they yeah. I did some post research. This should be an Amazon Prime film. Oh really? Series, oh, yeah. I didn't even know. Um, yeah, so he's the he's the main character. He plays the father, and then um, Marami McDowell plays the, the the mother. And you've got these two kids. Um, basically, these these two dudes rock up while they're having a nice family getaway, and they're like, the movie is just about them sort of i want to say kidnapping because it's not like they tie them up and chuck them in the boot and whatever there is a there is just like they they sort of sit them in the car and like we're going somewhere and as the movie progresses you learn more about them and the family and what's going on and is there a reason to what to what they're doing who really knows it's sort of a, a mill between it's it at times and as i tweeted it feels like a really redundant way to to explain it because it's not really but it's a good way to sort of sell it i guess for people who may be interested is it at times felt like i was watching new zealand's wolf creek but at other times it felt like i was watching new zealand's funny games which is that um the, oh, fuck was it originally i think it was originally swedish or somewhere yeah, like that, that sounds then, right somewhere and then in re- the yeah and then he remade it in american <laughs> he did he remade his own film um, for American audiences in English as well. But it's the exact same movie. So it feels like a combination of those two because you're like, why are these people doing what they're doing? And you don't really have an idea. And then at times it feels like you're watching Wolf Creek, especially the first like 20 minutes when um, just a lot of monologuing from the bad guys as as they're going on. Um, Daniel Gillies or Gillies? Gillies. I think he's got an eye there. Um, he's really, really good in this. He's like super like... Like that thing where you just he's in, he's evil, but you enjoy watching him in the movie because he's so good on screen and like sort of captivating. Uh, my only complaint is I feel it's ninety minutes. I feel like it could have got a way of cutting, just tightening up, getting it maybe in, into that like one hour twentyish range or something like that. Now I, I feel like the film just even sometimes even that ten minutes can make a big difference. You know, tightening up some tightening tightening up some scenes and stuff like that could have made a difference. But otherwise, it's shot really well. Um, the acting is really great from everyone in it and everything else. Obviously, you have that sort of beautiful New Zealand scenery and that sort of stuff and takes a dark angle on it. For It's mostly set at nighttime and stuff. So, um, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. Not, I don't think I've ever watched a horror movie from New Zealand, to be honest. But, or maybe I have. Well, yeah, I have watched like Black Sheep and shit. I think yeah, I, I was about to say. Yeah. yeah. But that's like, that's like horror comedy. I don't know if I've watched that's, a full one. That's not a horror film. Horror. You know, it's a romance. Yeah. Sort of. 
Yeah. <laughs> New Zealand. Uh, you know. Nothing straight up horror from New Zealand. Because no, yeah, I don't know, think They're so, also yeah. nice over there. Yeah. yeah, that's true. All right, so the last one you watched uh, was one that's been on my radar for a while. It, I almost drove all the way down to Gold Coast to watch it when I was at the Gold Coast Film Festival last year. Or earlier this year, I think. This Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, so it's called Freshman Year here in Australia, but in America it's known as Shithouse. Yeah. Freshman Year is a way better title. Shithouse is a terrible title for this movie. I think it, it, Shithouse implies it's like super bad or something like that, which is not what this is like. And I feel like it's just, a, it'll do a bad job at marketing this movie and giving you an idea of what it's about. So you obviously know what it's about, but for people don't. Um, written director and stars Cooper Wraith, Wraith, uh, co-stars Dylan Giller, Giller. Um, it's basically, it's like a two, it's a weird two part movie. So it starts, you introduced to the character Cooper plays, which is, uh, this character named Alex, who's freshman and he's sort of having a tough time. Like he's struggling to make friends. He's, you know, struggling to connect with people. Um, he's missing his family because it's, um, I can't remember, like, they're in Texas or something. And he's over, like, basically the complete opposite side of America or some shit like that. Like, mm-hmm. so it's a flight away to get home. So he's having a tough time, obviously. Um, and then he goes to this party one night and he meets this girl, um, Maggie. And the first, the main part of the movie, the main chunk of the movie is just that night. It's like, or at least the first half is that hot night. And it do- does very much feel like it's inspired by Linklater films, especially the book before films. Because it is literally just two characters, these two people, wandering around, talking about stuff that doesn't really matter, having just conversations. Um, I don't think it's a spoiler to say why they're wandering around, because it's like from the first 10, 15 minutes movie. Whatever. But like originally they're wandering around because they like begin talking and then she's like, oh, my turtle died. And he's like, well, what'd you do with it? And she's like, well, I chucked it in the bin. And he's like, oh my God, why did you do that? We should totally bury it. So then they're suddenly like going on this adventure to bury, to find her turtle, which is in a rubbish bin somewhere. And then the idea is that they'll take it to like the top as part of the campus or something and they'll bury it there. It's like the core sort of set up as to why they're walking around and what they're doing. So that's the best part of the movie. Like, I love that. That was great. Them just talking about nonsense. Sometimes they stop and they talk to other characters. Um, they're well-written characters because at times I'm like, you're you're, you're kind of being a dick here saying that thing. Or like, th- there's times where it's purposely written so it's like, there's no one's really right, especially the couple times they get into pseudo-arguments where you can tell, oh, there's a bit of like clashing over here over a certain mm. subject or something like that. Or the way s- someone responds at times, like, I wish I could spoil one thing they say, but, but I won't. But there's one time where just like the way he reacts to what she says at the time, I'm like, oof. Um, but it's really, really good. And they have like the actors are both really great and they're back and forth in this whole thing. Um, I almost say it goes downhill after them, but I just want to say like that was such a high and I enjoyed that part so much. Even if it's so obviously ripping off Link later that it doesn't really matter because it's, it's, I mean, it just feels like obviously his movies, but it's not because it's completely different, but it's just that type of thing he would do. Um, but after that second part of the movie is more typical i guess to a degree like it suddenly is like just feels like a normal sort of high school uh, what college College. whatever the fuck it is yeah college college movie thing there where there's there's stuff happening in days past and and stuff like that 
Um, and that part, I was like, oh, no, you kind of you kind of nailed it the first time. And to a degree, again, without spoiling like the direction the movie goes, I'm kind of like, I don't know, I would have been happy just for that to you spend much like before sunset or before sunrise. It's like just give me the night. And do I need to know how this what happens in the future? Maybe not. But the movie, this is a movie that decides we'll find out what happens in the future. You know, like that sort of thing. I'm like, oh, okay. no, you kind of, I feel like you kind of ruined it doing that to a degree, but it's still really good. I just think it could have been a little bit better. Um, that's it. Like, I would probably give it like, I would probably still give it like an eight, but I feel like if it had nailed that core concept and just committed to ripping off, well, not ripping off, but just being inspired by Linklater, it probably could have just, like it probably could have been like a nine or something if it just committed and nailed the script for the entirety of the movie and like hit a really good ending on that sort of thing and just committed to that concept. Um, but yeah, the acting's really good and whatever else and it's funny and charming and sad at times and all the, those sorts of things. So yeah, I mean, I was hundred percent watching it by the time I finished. I was like, this is an Ash film, so I don't know why. <laughs> I was like, this is totally a movie you'll be watching. Yeah, okay. So <laughs> probably watch this sometime this week. So yeah. Uh, any other ones from Miff you're definitely wanting to check out or Miff play? I have a sh- I have a short list. The thing is, like a time and like, do I want to keep spending money on these? Um, <laughs> to agree. I, I don't mind spending money because it is like like. I mean, really, you're helping keep the Melbourne National Film Festival afloat. Yeah, no, like I don't, I don't feel like I, I don't feel like I'm spending money on like a bad thing. But for, for people who don't know, basically every ticket's $14. So that, yep. those three movies I brought cost $14 each. Um, yeah, that's and they were all good, so I don't, like, regret spending your money. And as yep. I said, it's supporting both the Melbourne cinemas um, and MIF, plus also the those indie movies and stuff. So I don't feel like that. That's just, like, money. Um, I have a short <laughs> list here um, of stuff. Oh, where do I have it? I don't know. I've lost it, maybe. No, lost it. All right, you can if you go on um, miff no play.miff.com.au, you can um, star or whatever you want to call it, like add stuff to your favorites that you may want to watch later. But there's like there's a few other things here, like um, just quickly going over what's here. Old light everywhere. Um, Sisters with transistors, which is about, basically about like um, women um, that did like. Te- uh, electronic music including like the the person who did the doctor who theme like a documentary about like okay. how we don't really talk about um those sorts of people um there's a movie called ballad of a white cow which sounds really interesting i've seen some people talking about that one which is basically about a um i can't remember the fuck it's set actually where is it set? it's um iranian uh yeah a year after execution of a husband factory worker mina is informed that her post posthumously being found innocent of all charges um Blah, blah, blah. So it's about this woman trying to find justice for her husband's death, like after the fact that he um, passed away and stuff like that. Um, th- and there's a few other ones. On, I mean, I had like I think on my list, I had like maybe five or ten. There's also the Closing Night film, which yeah. I really want to watch. That's like totally up my alley. Which is um, Language Lessons by Language uh, Lessons, which is uh, by Mark Duplass and Natalie Morales. Um, apparently, it was really did it did really well at South by Southwest, but it was all shot in um covid times or yeah. whatever else but i mean basically anything that mark duplass does that's a really weird indie movie i'm usually totally all into it and just the way <laughs> into anything he makes so yeah i feel like that's uh, well she's the director so yeah but like they yeah, wrote it involved. together for it no is it just her yeah i thought they both wrote it no yeah they're dual screenwriters yeah, yeah there you go yeah 
So that's probably one. That's one. As long as I can watch it, because I know that's on like closing night and I have to pay to watch it. Yeah, there's um, like an eight hour yeah. viewing window, $21. Yeah. Yeah, $21. But I totally will for that because, yeah, that's that's complete one. But there's a few over here. I mean, you can go by country, you can go by um, drama, comedy, you know, that sort of thing. There's a few Mad Men films, Mad Men produced films, or I think they've got like five on here that are. Um, they'll be out here. There's like another one, I can't remember what the fuck it's called, that, two, that they're putting out as well. But. Yeah, there's an Australian one on here I want to watch, actually. Um, it's only, I, think, I can't remember the number, I was trying to find it. But it's like, it's only like um, just over an hour, I think, actually. Where can I go to fucking, oh yeah, Origin, hold on. I'll find out what it is. I've got to shout out the Australian one. It's called Dry Winter. Here we go. Dry Winter, it goes for an hour, two minutes. So I was like, fuck that short. But it just says, a hypnotic portrait of young couples surviving life in an off- beat off off the beaten track of opportunity starved out back town um so it just sounds like a movie just 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 about people i don't know it probably doesn't really have a point but i'm totally into it it says drought has made life tough in town jake kelly must each decide what to do next with they must move on blah 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 blah, blah. um there you go myth player it's yep. good they should keep doing it every year because they started it last year because of covid uh, you know, I watched a couple then or whatever. And I watched CGI's Tomorrow, which I really liked then. Um, and I've watched the three this year so far, and I've really enjoyed all those. So um, the only thing I would complain about is I'm like, for people who do want to watch several of these, why can't I buy, like, can I spend, like, $100 and get, like, several passes for, like, a cheaper rate or something? You know what I mean? Like, like a, a pass that gives you five movies for less than you'd pay for, you know, like a package deal or something. <laughs> something? But yeah, yeah. it's my only complaint about this play. Yeah. So I guess we'll talk about some more of those films next episode. Uh, so yesterday <laughs> I sat down, watched the first episode of Hacks, the uh, new comedy series uh, starring James Smart that's about a aging comedian who, and Las Vegas comedian, teams up with a uh, young Gen Z uh, comedy writer who uh, can't get any work in LA because she's been cancelled over an insensitive tweet uh, and their kind of weird collaboration and also abrasiveness. Uh, yeah, so started episode one. I watched all 10 episodes. Uh, <laughs> obviously, this is Emmy nominated, so you know it is good. Uh, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. Gene um, Smart, like she's... Pretty much anything she's in lately, fantastic. Like she's got great. I know she's great in it, but she's also clearly got good taste in roles at the moment. Um, yeah, obviously very influenced by uh, Joan Roberts. I think that's who it is. I don't know the person. I watched the trailer for the first time the other night, and I was like, I don't know who this person is. Who's the the girl? Is it the other person? No, I'm thinking. Trying to think of the comedian who it's very much. Oh, Jane Roberts. Is it Jane Roberts? I think so. Sorry, it's going to annoy me. <laughs> Joan Rivers! There we go. Oh. Good thing I checked. Otherwise, it'd be very stupid. Uh, yeah, very. Feels like very much like Joan Rivers. Maybe not as mean. Like two people. Like in general, like her comedy when she's on stage is like very self 
deprecating and that kind of stuff. Um, but she like she's not a very nice person in general. Neither of the leads are like very nice people for the most part. I feel like it's their progression over the season that kind of uh, eases you into them and kind of warms you up to them and that kind of stuff. But I feel a lot of shows like that, you know, very dislikable characters that you come to love over a course of a season. Um, and yeah, just the the scale of it all, like it's obviously shot in Las Vegas, set in like casino, like the production value is really good. Uh, there is an episode where they do like full on, like one of the tasks that the writer uh, Ava is given is to digitize her entire back catalog of content. Like she's videotaped every little thing she's done. So like uh, she's doing, looking at old footage of Gene Smart that obviously they've de-aged. It looks quite good. I think it's quite impressive. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of things I touch on. Uh, obviously, the age gap between them. Uh, obviously, a woman working in the comedian industry uh, and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think everybody should check it out. And I see why it's uh, up for so many Emmy Awards. Uh, if it wasn't out this year and up against Ted Lasso, it would probably be my favorite frontrunner for Big best words. comedy. So, yeah, Hacks, available on Stan now, all 10 episodes. So you too can just spend your entire Sunday <laughs> watching all that. Uh, let's move into the mandatory Netflix segment of the show. Uh, another show I binge-watched. <laughs> Actually, there's another two shows I've binge-watched here. So, uh, so I watched season two of Outer Banks. So I reviewed Out of Banks last year. I think I gave it like a six or something. Out of Banks is, I'm realizing now, is like a more condensed version of Riverdale. And I appreciate that because it's half as long and much easier to get through. Uh, but yeah, it's very much that teen drama uh, kind of recurring themes. Uh, Out of Banks obviously set in, I want to say, South Louisiana along a beachfront, uh, there's quite this class structure thing between the kooks who are like the rich part of town and the pokes who are on the uh, more working class part of town. So last season, uh, we left off with John B and Sarah being stuck in the middle of the ocean, uh, you know, surprisingly as has fived. Um, so they have this interesting detour down into Barbados for a couple episodes uh, because the big thing about the season, the first season was, they were trying to get this uh, buried treasure uh, that eventually got found and got taken away to another con- country so that, you know, um, because things. Uh, but yeah, I enjoyed it overall. I think it's, it's, a, it's not the most fantastic high quality stuff, but it is just enjoyable. And, you know, the, car- the young cast is quite good. Uh, it's just, you know, it just scratches that same itch as like a silly show like Riverdale does, you know? weird teen drama you know except it's treasure hunts instead of murders that they're trying to solve all the time so it's good uh <laughs> then i watched season three of uh car masters rust of riches uh which i've talked about here before as well about these car restorers uh again what the thing that i appreciate about this is that the episodes flow into each other it's not like a lot of these other reality shows that like each episode is very standalone and you know you could just watch them in any order and it wouldn't really matter. Uh, but this one definitely feels like there's a story over the... There's a season arc um, that definitely 
takes place. Uh, and of course, their operations are kind of influenced by COVID. So, you know, that's quite interesting because obviously they must have shot this, I'll say, March, April last year. Uh, so it kind of throws this massive spanner in the works. Uh, so yeah, I quite enjoyed that. And then I watched Vivo. So this is the latest uh, film. Uh, it's done by Sony Animation Studios, uh, starring Lin-Manuel Miranda with music done by Lin-Manuel Miranda, um, in which he plays a chinkajou, which is like a tiny monkey thing, <laughs> uh, who has worked, who's... Uh, came out of the jungle and has come to live with this elderly musician um, who he's lived with for several years. Um, just as he, he turned, he, he's the guy he lives with finds out that his one true love that he let leave Cuba um, in their younger years is about to retire and is looking to seek him out one last time. Uh, so then Vivo, the monkey played by Lima Miranda uh, is tasked with taking this song to uh that he wrote for her uh in his youth to uh his love for reasons this is on netflix, that, or- this is on netflix. uh yeah it's a perfectly fine you know uh story some of the music's quite good i think the standout is uh the young this young girl gabby played by newcomer yunali simo who just has a, a lot of personality um, kind of makes it shine a little bit. Uh, but yeah, it kind of it opens really strong, lags a lot in the middle, you know, and kind of uptick towards the end. Uh, so yeah, it's on the lower scale of the animated films I've watched this year. But yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like this was meant to be in theaters and was part of that Sony, much in the way uh, the Mitchells and the Machines was meant to be in theaters. Was it? Uh, yeah. That was, that one got delayed like a couple of times, but it was meant to be out in theaters. Have you even watched that yet? No. Bloody hell. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you paying, like paying all this if, money for myth films instead of just buying some, watching something like watching on Netflix, yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So if you if you're a Lin Manuel Miranda fan, you'll enjoy some of the music here, and because the opening feels very the opening song is very Lin Manuel Miranda. Uh, of course, helped by the fact that he's singing the song as well. But um, yeah, a good time. I think I think the kids will like it and that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, I don't know. The yeah, the middle lagged and kind of lost me. All right, that's kind of all the stuff we've been watching. Uh, let's move into some film news. Uh, the biggest story headline: Scarlett Johansson suing Disney. Yeah, Scarlett Johansson filed a lawsuit in Los Angeles against Disney in which she alleged that the media company breached her contract by releasing the film Day and Day in theaters and on Disney Plus streaming service. According to the lawsuit, her agreement with Disney-owned Marvel Entertainment guaranteed a theatrical release with a salary based largely on how the movie did at the box office. Uh, The suit states, Disney intentionally induced Marvel's breach of the agreement without justification in order to prevent Ms. Johansson's from realizing the full benefit of her bargain with Marvel. Um, so a lot of stuff has obviously come out after this. Obviously, the film grossed $318 million. Uh, I believe they said they've paid her out $20 million or something. Um, but there's a lot that's happened since. 
mostly the most other key thing is Walt Disney came out with their own statement in which they said, there is no merit whatsoever in this filing. The lawsuit is especially sad and distressing in its calcerous disregard for the horrific and prolonged global effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. Disney was f- fully complied with Hansen's contract and furthermore, the release of Black Widow on Disney Plus with premier access has significantly enhanced her ability to earn additional compensation on top of the $20 million she has received to date. Uh, Dylan, what were your initial impressions of the story and how do you feel as kind of the war of words has kind of broken out? Um, um, I'm pro- I think I'm going to give a response that people may not expect from me, which is that uh, I do think that if she had a contract for said money, then she should get paid. Because I think the thing that ev- everyone likes to do for this story or that I've seen people do is uh, you've only got paid X amount of million dollars. Why do you need more? Which, I mean, ultimately, I do agree to a point. I'm like, <laughs> just fucking like, when, once you're a several millionaires, like, what's a couple more million? But, I mean, I think it does boil down to, it doesn't really matter what the money is. It could be $20 million. It could be $50,000. It could be $20. Um, it's all about just, like, you know, it's, if they can fuck over Scarlet, they imagine what like they can fuck over people on yeah. five dollars an hour. At it, it doesn't matter on what you know. scale it is. It's <laughs> it shouldn't yeah. be happening. Yeah, it's it's a, that's yeah that's that's yeah. I'm t- I totally get why people are like it's millions of dollars. Who fucking cares? Like you already have all the money. But I'm like yeah. But if it, if if she can get fucked over by the mouse, then imagine all the other people who are earning money less getting fucked over in different parts. Like. The, the buck has to stop somewhere, as they say, or whatever. So I think if she's owed money, then, um, which by the sounds of it, she does, it would be owed money because the event, the, this is the first time we've heard about, you know, or at least someone standing up for, because most of the time actors do have these deals, of course. That's why they get money for tickets and, or most big time actors have deals in their contracts where they'll make more money off uh, cinema tickets or DVD sales, you know, like whatever they work out in their contract. A lot of stuff, c- yeah. Yeah, a lot of smaller actors or smaller films, obviously, you won't have these sorts of deals, but for bigger ones, you would. Um, and yeah, totally, there's no way for them to track or even account for the Disney premiere sales to even like sort of like track that to cinema tickets and where's that equate for her to get paid out and so on and so forth. This is a hundred percent a thing that probably wouldn't have happened if she was still working in Marvel films because I don't know if she would have even bothered going through this and risk her working relationship i don't know like this seems like something she's very happy to do because she doesn't work there anymore uh but yeah i mean go get that money i guess go girl yeah obviously it's a big story and like um obviously yeah it's hard to feel like to a certain degree it's hard to like be on the side of the actor learning millions of dollars but then you also don't want to be on the side of the massive corporations that's made millions of dollars. You know, like, as she states, like, the box office of the movie dropped significantly, but yet the sale, the stock prices of Disney raised up so much because everybody was going to Disney Plus to watch the film and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting. Obviously, you know, they they had the opportunity in the 18 months in which the film was delayed to renegotiate that contract. Like, like they could have come to her and said, hey, this is... We're going to be putting on Disney+. Plus. We'll 
instead of back end deal, we'll give you five million dollars right now. Mm. And and none of this would everything would have been sorted, nothing would have happened. But now there's this big kind of weird slagging match in the in the media where after those remarks by Disney, a lot of other uh unions, mostly like SAG and that kind of stuff, have come out and kind of said it's pretty shitty of them to come out and say these kind of things, kind of implying she's uh putting like kind of putting word changing the way she's saying her things um even saying uh what's it someone from the caa said they have shamelessly and falsely accused mr hansen of being insensitive to the global pandemic and attempt to make her appear to be someone they and i know she isn't uh i want to address Disney Scarlett has been Disney's partner for nine films, which has earned Disney and its shareholders billions. The company included her salary in their press statement in an attempt to weaponize her success as an artist and businesswoman, as if there was nothing, as if there was something to be she should be ashamed of. Scarlett Johansson is extremely proud of the work she and all of the actors, writers, directors, and producers of Marvel creative team have been part of for well over a decade. This suit was filed as a result of Disney's decision to vi- knowingly violate Scarlett's contract. They have very deliberately moved the revenue stream and profits to the Disney Plus side of the company, leaving artistic and financial partners out of their equation. That's it, pure and simple. Disney's direct attack on her character and all else they implied is beneath the company and many of us in the creative community have worked with successfully for up for decades. So yeah. Not a great look for Disney, I think. It, even though this is like a story that neither side looks great completely in there's like no clear winner in this i think um depends if you want to view her as like her winning is far from the average joe schmo winning but it's still i guess technically a win for workers rights over i think corporations. <laughs> i think if it was any other actress <laughs> you would be yeah. fine but obviously well, scarlett johansson has the, like a lot of baggage going into this it it will With be a obviously big, the it jokes. will be a big win, the first major win by an Asian actor in Hollywood to fight against <laughs> Disney. You know, <laughs> so many jokes. Uh, but yeah, I think this will also potentially see a lot of change to people's contracts, like financially how these deals are done. Like obviously streaming, it is the future as much as we hate it to a certain degree but how they need to figure out how people are going to get paid from that because you know people watch these films for millions of dollars like like thousands of times you know and how much do the people who worked on it get probably not a lot (laughs) so interesting story i see well i assume i assume this will never go to court it'll just be settled out of court but you know It'll 100% be settled out of court, and we'll read an article that says they settled out of court, and you'll never know how much it's for, or if she's happy, or if Disney banned her from ever working. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, we'll never know what the deal is. I don't know, because she's, I think I read somewhere else, she had, like, some projects still with Disney. Well, Kevin Feige, like producing. Feige was sticking up for her or whatever. Feige? Kevin Feige yeah. was sticking up for her, saying, oh, this is not on, Mickey. Bloody bastard. Don't make yeah, me tell absolutely. Minnie on you. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I can't see anything quickly. Yeah, 
So that's an interesting story. We'll follow that one. Uh, big news coming out of the BBC. Uh, Jodie Whittaker and showrunner Chris Chibnall will leave Doctor Who after a trio of specials in 2022. Uh, Jodie Whittaker and Chris Chibnall will leave Doctor Who in a trio of special, culminating in an epic blockbuster special to air in autumn 2022 as part of the BBC's centenary celebrations. Having been in charge of the TARDIS since filming for the 13th Doctor began in 2017, showrunner Chris Chibnall and the 13th Doctor, Jodie Whittaker, have confirmed they will be moving on from the famous police box on Earth, uh, the most famous police box on Earth and the universe, with a six-part event serial announced for the autumn and two specials already planned for 2022. The BBC One has now asked for an additional final feature-length adventure for the 13th Doctor to form a trio of specials for 2022 before the Doctor regenerates once more. Uh, I kind of dropped... I haven't watched the most recent season, uh, but, you know, the first of her three series series didn't love. Dylan, how are you feeling about this news? Um, I like Jodie as the Doctor. I think Chris Chibnall has dropped the ball on the series. Um, just I just don't think he could... I don't, don't think he got really a good feel for what to be doing in Doctor Who or whatever, because... Like, it's nothing against him as a writer or a showrunner because he did Broadchurch, which is one of the best British drama things or whatever for the past 10 years or whenever it came out. Mm. Um, and he's done a bunch of other stuff that's well-received, like Cops. And he's wrote some good um, episodes for stuff every now and then, like, I know, um, random stuff, whatever else. So I, 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 it's really hard, but I just feel like, he couldn't get it or the pieces wouldn't come together or there was just like i don't know it's like they've had some good ideas but they haven't quite got there or like for instance season um season 11 right the first season she's introduced there were some good episodes in there but it was just so hit and mess there was just so all over the place and of course we did like that one season of fish fingers and custard discussing that and it would be like, oh yeah, this was like an alright episode. And this next one would be like, oh, it was like pretty man. You know, next one was like, oh, this one was good. And next one was like, man, it's like just all over the place. And they had this commitment to going back to just doing one episode stories and like no big overarching narrative or just or even two parters or anything. Like uh, they, for some reason they're like, no, we're just doing like a bunch of one episode stories and. It just felt very like, okay, sure, like I don't know, if we'll, we'll do whatever. And then they go to last season, the the most recent one, um, which was better. It was better, but also a lot of it I can't even remen- remember. Like I remember the the opening, um, the opening two episodes. Spyfall was pretty good, but they um, had the master come back in for that and whatever else. And um, you get to the end. I don't even know if it's a spoiler. It's a spoiler, like most recent Doctor Who stuff at this stage to be honest like if you've watched it you watched it you haven't you haven't you haven't fucking watched it I guess but like they get to the end of the season and they've they finally revealed the timeless child thing which I've been teasing for like the last two seasons and that really pissed hardcore Doctor Who fans off something like have you said have you read about what this whole timeless child thing so they basically imply they basically imply that she is the time lord she is the timeless child and like all of the time lords are like fucking i don't even remember now like some weird shit like clones or like created from her dna or some shit like so she is like 
I don't know, the god of, <laughs> or like the, I don't know, the, she's the timeless child. That was the, that was the whole thing. It was the, it was the doctor. So, and that pissed people off because then, of course, that has like huge ramifications for like Doctor Who's history and everything else like that. Uh, Revolution of the Daleks was pretty good. I was really happy with that one because, um, John Barrowman was back playing Captain Jack, which is a character I love, but then it feels weird now because John Barrowman's been in trouble for fucking all this stuff about him fucking fl- slapping his penis on people's besides while filming Doctor Who and all this other weird shit. So I don't even know how to feel about, <laughs> feel about <laughs> that stuff anymore. Any Anyone I like, anyone I always just fucking... And I got to even complain. Was, this isn't me being like, oh, fucking cancel God. Just me just being like, people constantly disappoint me in my life, you know? <laughs> just, <laughs> <laughs> it's just fucking... Why? Everyone just lets me down in one way or another. Uh, I mean, yeah, last season was fine. I, I don't know. I, I, I really like Doctor Who, so I'd, I'd like to get back to the stage where I'm excited to watch it, not just like that last season where I was, I watched it and I could barely remember fucking half the episodes. I can't even blame the rest of the cast, like the, the TARDIS crew, like the Bradley Walsh is really good. Uh, he's, he's like, I really grew into him. Uh, Mandip Gill. Gilly, Gil, whatever. Uh, she's actually got a lot better. The the person I least vibe with was Toz, Toz and Cole's character. Ryan, Ryan as a character. That was the person I vibe with the least or whatever. Um, oh fuck, I forgot. I was just looking for episodes to see who was guest stars. I forgot they did an episode where James Buckley was in it, and that was really good because obviously he's from um, um, fuck, what was that show called? Um, In Between Us. So that was quite funny to watch him in Doctor Who. So I, I did enjoy that one um yeah i mean i'm keen i'll watch it feels this feels like now ended david Tennant era where they're like we're just gonna do a bunch of weird spin-off things because they did that whole year where they just did like the mars thing and then whatever else and they kept having the master shop and then it culminated in him you know regenerating and whatever else but that's all they did for an entire year there it was kind of shit to be honest because it was just so drawn out and it felt like three years before you got a new season and then I don't know. Then we entered the Matt Smith era, which I know a lot of people. Some, well, not a lot. They, they're fucking babies who hate that era because oh, he's just too eccentric and I hate it and all this sort of shit. But I mean, as far as I know, at least for friends and everyone I had, like the Matt Smith era was like sort of the highlight, and that was the most like the era most people got into the most. Other than the Tenant era, I guess. Well, you know, both sort of even. So well, I, they kind I of flew really. into each other. So I mean. yeah. So, but I mean, that's the height of like New Who or whatever you want to call it. So, well, that's not true. Season one, of, so looking at the ratings, uh, obviously the final season of Tenet rated the highest with uh, 8.05 million viewers average over the episodes. I don't want to go. But- yeah. hmm? That was my impression of I, I, I don't want to go. That's true. Uh, but the opening, se- the first season of 13 was 7.96. Uh, but then I mean, dropped off. It would have been huge. Two. Everyone would have been tuning in to watch that. I can understand that. Yeah. Yeah. But season series two, 5.4, which is the lowest series since lowest average since the series has been revived. So, you know, but yeah, how, how are they rating these average viewers? Is it just people who are watching live or is it? <laughs> I guess probably, live. Maybe, yeah. especially in like 2005, 2006, streaming wasn't as, wasn't a thing really. So, yeah. Uh yeah, I'm I mean disappointed because I thought it would have been cool to see uh Jodie under a different showrunner, you know? Uh or a different voice. But uh I understand obviously she's got a lot of history with Chris uh from Broadchurch and that kind of stuff, so uh and and 
every Doctor since the first, since nine, has only done the three series. Um, and they of- leave if their showrunner leaves. That's true. Yeah. Mm. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it made sense that, you know, now was the right time and that kind of stuff. So, hopefully, uh, you know, they go on to other stuff, you know, and obviously that kind of thing. The, the, on to bigger and better, well, other things. Maybe not bigger and better, but, you know, uh, I guess it's, it's weird because we haven't had Doctor Who since the start of 2020. It's so long ago. <laughs> and, you know, it's not going to come out till maybe sometime. Maybe it's the end of this year. Who knows at this point? They reckon, they're, they're still reckoning it's the end of this year. I'll yeah. believe it when I see it. But And obviously then you'll get the three specials in 2022 um, to kind of wrap things up. So, yeah, I guess, you know. Uh, Look out for fish fingers and custard coming. Fish spaces. fingers and custard things different. But uh, Dylan, I figured this new story is here. Might as well mix things up this episode. Let's jump to our what do you want to watch top three. Definitely in the top three. This episode's top three. Top three picks for the next Doctor. Uh, Dylan, who's your number three? Um. So. I'm what was your thought process? <laughs> I was trying to think they had to be British. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I also agree. That, <laughs> that was a minimum requirement. That was my minimum requirement. And I was trying to think of um, people who I've watched recently who have like high personality or, or just like a lot of personality that I would enjoy watching Doctor as. So I started with the first person I've got is Lydia West, who was in It's a Sin earlier this year, um, played the main uh, girl character in that show. Um, I can't remember the character's name. But obviously, I really like that. And I mean, my connection here is that show was written by Russell T. Davis, <laughs> <laughs> who, of course, brought back Doctor Who and did the, the first several years run of the show. So, you know, like maybe putting in a good, good word, but she's just very... She's really fun in that show. She's both very funny, um, very charming, and she's also sort of the heart of the the group and, like, has a lot of the more emotional scenes. So you see a lot of range for her within that show, and I think that she could be... And she's young. Like, it, you'd have, like, a young... Even younger than, like, Matt Smith or, you know, anything like that. I think, I think she is. So it'd be a, a proper young... Doctor, I guess, which would be a somewhat interesting direction. I, yeah, I'd be totally down for her. Um, first PIC Doctor as well, it would be, if they did that. Mm. Well, no, actually, no, it wouldn't, because they've done that one in the last season, which uh, fuck, I can't remember the actress's name, but they did the Joe one. Joe Roberts? Yeah, Joe Roberts. They did Joe Roberts, yeah. yeah. So, uh, first proper, uh, whatever. You know, anyway, yeah. yeah her. Uh, my number three, Robert Sheehan. Uh, people who probably more recently know him from the Umbrella Academy, plays Klaus, uh, but of course he played uh, Nathan back in the day in Misfits. Like you said, a bit of an eccentric, definitely has his own personality and flair to him, uh, and I think that would be interesting take on the Doctor. Maybe a bit more, you know, adult. Don't don't go so family friendly with this next Doctor. <laughs> you know? Um. <laughs> well, I, I had high hopes for that when they hired um, uh, fucking what's the fuck like Day, uh, Capaldi, but 
you know, fucking cunt of a TARDIS. Yeah, <laughs> just bleep it. Yeah, yeah, this got salty mouth. Yeah. Uh, Dylan, what's your number two? Number two, uh, Jim Noll needs to put in a good word. Olivia Coleman, bring her back. Broad Church, bring her. <laughs> See, I I put this on the unrealistic side. <laughs> Why? Look, I didn't have to two columns. It said, "Who do you want to see play the, the Doctor?" Right? That's true. Was that not the question? Olivia no. Coleman. Olivia Coleman has proven throughout various movies and projects and TV shows that she can play both sort of like naive. Uh, Silly, really funny, outrageous, angry. Like, she has a huge range, which is perfect uh, for the Doctor, in my opinion. And she would be really great as a Doctor. And that was a really good option. I don't know who would dis- who would disagree that Lee Vicom would be a, a bad person. She should be a fantastic. Exactly. I just don't think she's got time in her schedule. Like, Fuck her schedule. Academy Award-esque. Yeah, Academy no. Award nominated films. It's like. Yeah, but, you know, follow your heart. Have you always wanted to play the Doctor, Olivia? Yeah, you can. Maybe. Uh, my number two, Emily Mortimer. Uh, so the one that I thought clo- most closely uh, connected to, obviously, that she was in the newsroom. I'd love to see a character in the vein of Mackenzie McHale be the Doctor. Like, unable to figure out certain things, but being super smart in super other areas. Uh, maybe it's just, maybe I just want an Aaron Sorkin written Doctor Who. Do that would be know? weird. <laughs> fucking 15-minute monologues and shit. Yeah, why not? Yeah, sure. Save money on the special effects. Just have a... Yeah. Talk about... Oh, take really it back, take it back to the heyday of Doctor Who, you know? Yeah. No special effects. We don't need all this running around. Let's just put people in a room, have a conversation. Yeah. Good times. Uh, Dylan, who's your number one? This feels like a real cop-out, but this is my legit answer. Someone I don't know. Now, my reasoning for this is I don't, I didn't know who the hell David Tennant was before Doctor Who, and now you do, and he's super famous, and I just, I'm always going to think of him from Doctor Who. Matt Smith, I didn't know who the hell he was before watching it, and now he's super famous. Well, maybe not super, but he's famous, and you know, he's in Hollywood doing movies and whatever else. He's in fucking The Queen and all that sort of shit. Of course, if I, if I, for the rest of history, for the rest of my life, if I think Matt Smith, I'm going to think of Doctor Who. Um, so my two favorite, I mean, even Chris Eccleston, I just think Doctor Who for most of the time. Like, he's done a bunch of other stuff as well. Definitely don't think about Thor Dark, Dark World or whatever the hell it was called. Should. That's for sure. That's for sure. <laughs> no, I think doc, the thing of the Doctor Who. Um, yeah. So, I mean, lots of characters. I mean, they always just come back to Doctor Who and I didn't know who the hell these people were before they were cast as the Doctor in the show. So it feels like a cop out, but I, I, Reckon my number one p- choice would be find a talent like them, find someone I don't know, find someone who I can just like sort of not have to be like, oh, this person I already know from movie thing, blah, 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 is now playing doctor. Just give me someone who's barely been anything in anything, some young, younger person or whatever, and just let them go and let them like, I, just let me come in, no preconceived notions. And that, that feels very much in line with. Doctor Doctor Who's history to me, or at least mo- the majority of its history. Even a lot of the original Doctors, a lot of them hadn't went super famous or hadn't been in m- much before they were in it. You know? Yeah, that's true. The, it's a good answer, smarter answer yeah. than I would have come up with. Okay. <laughs> so my number one, Chance Perdomo, uh, who people will probably best know from 
Uh, Chilling Adventures is a brainer. It was uh, Ambrose. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. You know, he's, he's British. He got the. He he's got British. The... <laughs> I picked the British one out. Uh, yeah, he just has. He was. It was definitely the most flamboyant character or the most memorable character in that uh, series. Um, you know, he's out of work at the moment. <laughs> he doesn't no longer committed to that show. Obviously, a show that has special effects and that kind of stuff. So he's used to that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, I think it'd be an interesting fit for the Doctor. Um, I think skewing. It, I don't know what they're looking for in the Doctor. Is my first thought. Do they want to stick with a woman? Do they want to go person of color? Do they want to just go back to young? Do they want to stay old? It's all over the place. It's like it's a really interesting place where they can pick anybody now, though. Well, yeah, so, that's the thing. But I also feel like if they, I feel like if they just go back to a white straight dude, yeah, then it's like the haters won to a degree because the the last couple of seasons of Doctor Who haven't been received that well. So it feels like if they go back, it's kind of like defeat, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, they've had some interesting people brought up. Uh, so I'll mention some people. You say yes or no. Uh, so one of the big four frontrunners is Ollie Alexander from It's a Sin. Yeah, I could, yeah, I'm not, I'm not against it, but I'd rather my pick <laughs> from, <laughs> from It's a Sin. Isn't he like a musician though or some shit? Yes. So he's come out and said he's like focused on his music, but you know, yeah. they could just be a smoke screen. Okay. Uh, another big one that's been rumored in the last couple of days, Himish Patel. From uh, yesterday and Tenant. Nah. 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 Uh, Rumour is they were trying to court Daniel Kaluuya. I mean, I'd be all about that, but it ain't going to happen. No (laughs) fucking way is that going to happen. But yeah, sure. Yep. Uh, Then some other names. Uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge. I mean, fuck yeah, but it ain't going to happen. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Uh, Michaela Cole from uh, You May Think You May Destroy Me, whatever that big series is. Uh, well, I haven't watched that, but I know, yeah, well, everyone loves her and that, right? So Yeah. Um, I can't say because I haven't watched that yet, even though I know we need to, but sure. Don't know, can't say. Can't say. Uh, Richard Aiode. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> cast, him, <laughs> cast him and Noel Fielding as the Doctor together. Somehow they just switch. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, no. Put, no, put. I mean, cast, people cast pitch Richard, that idea. Cast, cast Richard as a doctor, and cast Noel as like someone who's like one, one of the the doctor's friends, and that's part of the show. It's just Richard and Noel just playing themselves, just bitching about shit in the, <laughs> the TARDIS, and having weird conversations. I'm all about that. Yeah. Uh, Jodie Comer. It seems like mm, again, oh, no chance. No chance. But yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be against it. And the other one I was seeing constantly bring it up. Michael Sheen. Nah. Feels too I, that feels too old timey Doctor Who type casting to me. I think I think they only want that because he's so close to David Tennant. Like they're good buddies in that. It's like if you're like, hey, we could do like a team up episode. Yes. It'll be even weirder since they're doing that second season of um Good Omens, yeah. Good Omens. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So alright, that's been Top three for this episode. Let's move back into some film news. Uh, South Park. Dylan, do you like South Park? Chop, Cartman. Oh, fuck. 
Well, MTV Entertainment Studios has announced that they're doing an expansion deal with co-creators Trey Parker and Matt Stone. They'll see South Park extended on Comedy Central through 2027. Uh, from through 2027, yeah, which would take it to an unprecedented 30th season. Uh, but on top of that, they've also part of this $90 million deal uh, agreed that they'll make 14 South Park original made-for-streaming movies for Paramount+, Plus, starting with two films in 2021. Uh, interesting story. Uh, you know, I feel like South Park is obviously... It's obviously a massive thing in culture, like, but I don't think. How much South Park have you watched? Nothing in the last. But like when I was younger, younger, yeah, obviously, I think the first few seasons was like on SBS or whatever, and like, yeah, yeah, it was on at like ten o'clock at night. That I like had like South Park vinyl figurines, Mm. like that my mum got me at like way to a young age to have Mm -hmm. been enjoying South Park. Yeah, but it's a cartoon, so it's for kids. It's a cartoon, you know. I played like the kart racer game on sixty four. Mr. Hanky poop everywhere. Mm. It's like, yeah, it's crazy that it's been going 30 years. Um, but yeah, this deal to do 12 special movies um, apparently is because they sold the streaming rights to uh, HBO for HBO Max. So you can stream South Park on HBO Max, but then they launched Paramount Plus <laughs> that they wanted to put the South Park on. So now they're going to have these special movies that'll be exclusive to the Paramount Plus to make up for not being able to stream have thirty seasons of South Park. Currently Fuck! Being. Did you just say, little boy? <laughs> 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 um, yeah, that's that's not confusing at all. Now we're really entering the streaming age. Um, well, I mean, uh, yeah, whatever. Uh, more South Park's not a bad thing. South Park hangs around because it's like sort of it's the one show that constantly pushes the buttons and also gets away with it because it's most of the time aligned i guess on the right side of history because it's usually making fun of um the right sorts of people i guess like it mostly punches up i guess in in its comedy even when it's being pseudo racist or homophobic (laughs) at times it's usually because it's making fun of i don't know like it it rides a a very thin line at times but it obviously gets away with it for reasons yep yeah massive thing uh including in this press release it says south park continues to keep its place in cultural zeitgeist with this year's south park q or south park uh vaccination special ranking as the number one cable telecast of the year with nearly 3.5 total viewers across the night and the pandemic special uh which ranged as the cable's number one scripted telecast of 2020 so that's pretty crazy south park still pulling them in Considering they make them in like six days, it's kind of yeah, it's ridiculous. Dumb. And Trey and Matt still do just all the voices. <laughs> Fucking dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So dumb. Interesting story around uh, the Gotham Awards. This is a big, a reasonably big uh, awards ceremony uh, in New York. I believe it's like yeah. Uh, so it's the film awards for the independent filmmaker project. So it's like a bunch of people with mostly based in New York who give out their own set of awards, much like you have a bunch of different places that give out awards at the end of the year. Uh, but the big change they've made this year is they're removing all gender-based uh, 
gen- they're eliminating the gendered acting categories, starting with this year's awards. Uh, the individual male and female lead categories will be condensed into one outstanding lead performance, uh, while also adding supporting performances. Uh, up to 10 nominees will be eligible in each category. Uh, Dylan, is this something... Us. Yeah, I mean, it's easier just to come up with 10 <laughs> instead of coming up with 20. But do you think this is something, you know, the bigger award shows should look at? Uh, yeah, because it's dumb. Because I it, <laughs> having male and female awards just ex- <laughs> automatically excludes non-binary people from being nominated for Academy Awards for a start. So that's fucking dumb in the 20, 21st century. Um, but also, yeah, I mean, we discussed it. We changed ours last year to be just lead, like, best actor. Or just, like, straight up. Because the year before we had male, female, and then I was like, "This is dumb. I don't know why. <laughs> why you really do this? Just like give it to the best person. I, I I don't know. Like, I feel like you could do it at any award show. You can just combine, like, look at the Oscars. You can just sp- combine lead actor, lead actress, extend the amount of nominees you can have, make it one award, give it to one person. But then also. I would add a subcategory, but then I don't know. It works better at the Golden Globes because then you can do, which I think this is what we did last year, right? Where it was like best lead actor in a dramatic role. But is that what we had, right? And then best lead actor in a like comedy role. So then you can put in the brackets. So like comedy, of course, includes um, musicals and whatever. Like you, you come up with your rules for what's inside those terms. Like what's a dramatic role that would include like dramas. Um, do you want to include your action films in dramatic or uh, comedic? I'd probably lean more towards comedic, depending on the type of performance and action movie. Like, if you want to nominate The Rock for something, you're nominating probably for a, a comedy action film, not a dramatic action film, even if it's more, even if it's not a straight up comedy. You know, you know what I mean. Like, you, you being the award place would structure. You'd have to figure out how you want to award these things. But I feel like that's the way you, you do it. You just do. Uh, and we pioneered it last year is what I'm saying. We pioneered this. And I think everyone's copying us now because it's, you do your best. You do best lead comedic and list best lead dramatic. And you just make the nominee list longer and you just award the people that deserve it most. Because, I mean, it's fine. Like, they already – you only if you only nominate white people anyway, then you just nominate white people for both categories anyway. And you still have the same problem, so it's fine. But, but see, this <laughs> – where it changes because then you'll end up with just white men. Well, yeah, that's well, that's the thing. Like, if you uh, should you though, would you? Like, how many people do you? That, know, that's do the risk you run. Nom- how many people do they normally nominate at the Oscars? Six, like, six, right? So, why would you expand it? Let's make it twelve. Twelve people. You don't have to nominate six and six. That's dumb. But you know. Like, I don't know. Like, I feel like we should reach a stage. The idea is you're supposed to have, if if one year it's fucking eight men, because that's just the way the cookie fell for dramatic films, and next year it's, like, fucking 11 women, because that's the way the cookie fell. You know, like, that. that's the that's the mm. goal, isn't it? This, as long as everyone's doing it right and not excluding people for, or not looking outside their fucking very thin windows at the type of movies and people they usually nominate or whatever you know like if it's just a bunch of white dudes then obviously it's a problem but otherwise i feel like moving the categories out of best male and female i don't really have a problem with it and i think it makes more sense for a lot of reasons 
and in- including the fact that the thing I said at the start, which is it does just straight up include exclude non-binary people. So, like, where the fuck do they get nominated? In one of the two categories, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, they just force them. Which into is the a f- case that happened at the Emmys. There's a fucking force them into a gender. There's yeah. two binary people, one in each category. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I've I'm open to it. I think I don't think it just to one tradition is a thing, and they're just they're, that's always going to be a thing. I don't think they're going to do a massive overhaul of everything. These massive award ceremonies have been going for 60, 70 years. Um, I don't think reducing the number of winners is something they want to do. Because <laughs> you're. But if you do dramatic and comedy, you've got four leads. Yeah, but the, the Academy Awards isn't going to do that. But well, then no, the okay. Emmys has already got dramatic and ca- comedy categories. Yeah, they do. So just change it to. They won't anytime soon, but I'll, I'll put it out there and I'll be highly surprised if this doesn't change before I die in our lifetime. I'll be highly surprised if this doesn't change in our lifetime. Will it change this year, next year? Probably not. I would say in our, li- in our lifetime, I expect this would change. Could do. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's, it, it's, it's a big step, you know? Mm. It dramatically reduces the number of people who win Academy Awards, and obviously winning that is such a prestigious thing that you want to give the best possible chance for people to win it. So is being exclusive, inclusive, uh, but making the thing they want to win harder to get good in the long run? The idea is just to give the award the best actors, right? Yeah, and they do. They just happen to be split up in certain categories. Much in yeah. the same way films are split in just random categories. Yeah. They, they, yeah. You just have best director, right? You don't have best female or male director. You know, it's just best director. Best writer. Best, you know, like, if you win best film, the producers win. They don't go best film that was produced by men. <laughs> 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 It's only the acting categories that are actually split. Best uh best score, just best score. It's not split by gender. It's only the acting acting categories that are split by gender. Yeah, that's because they they want to give the actors more awards, that's why. Yeah, motherfucking If they want to give everybody below oh, the oh, un- below the line more awards, they would split it by gender so they could give out twice as much. Well, just saying like there are like to say that you can't like have everyone in one category, they do it for ninety percent of the awards. It's only the acting ones it's where they're argument. Just, just saying. You know, the acting awards are the ones that people tune into the telecast. It's true. To watch. It's true. So it's like you reduce the number of people of those who win and give speeches. Yeah, you, less people are going to tune in. I'm sure after. you could find out a way if a bunch of people sat down in a boardroom and tried to work this out. I'm sure they a bunch of people could work this out in a way that would still have as many chances for people and like categories and whatnot like we're not going to work it out on this podcast but i feel like not without people, getting paid yeah i feel like <laughs> i feel like people who are getting paid to sit in the boardroom and figure this out could potentially put some effort in and figure it out yeah but interesting discussion it'll be interesting to look forward to i guess seeing what the gotham awards nominate later this year all right let's uh give some thumbs to trailers what do you reckon Sure. Sure. Uh, first up, 
Kate, the new film coming to Netflix, uh, directed by Cedric Nicholas Troyan, starring Elizabeth Winstead, Miku Martinow, Woody Harrelson, Mikael Hewson, and Tadanubu Asano. After she's irreversibly poisoned, a ruthless criminal operative has less than 24 hours to exact revenge on her enemies, and in the process forms an unexpected bond with the daughter of one of her past victims. This one felt like it came out of nowhere and like kind of blew up a little bit. Yeah, I don't know where the hell this came from or when it was filmed. But what do you think overall? Yeah, it was really good. It's, I mean, I'm I'm all about Mary Elizabeth Winstead playing these um, action action movies or whatever. Um, kind of coming into it, I guess, between this and Birds of Prey, and um, even um, fuck was that shitty de aging movie? Whatever the fuck that was called. Um. You know, the Will Smith one. <laughs> she was in that. She was in Gemini Man? Yeah, Gemini Man, that's it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> she's other she's other person in Gemini. Uh yeah, I'm I'm, I'm into it. I don't know why I kinda wish it was coming to a theater though. Fucking Netflix. Buddy. Anytime I watch these <laughs> big action movies or whatever. Oh yeah, can't wait to watch this looks right. Look at all the neon colours and badass gunfights and shit like that. Yeah, fuck you, can't wait to watch this on my home TV screen. What a let down there. Uh, yeah, really good trailer. Totally, uh, totally down for it. I don't know what we're calling these. Um, don't know what we're calling these genres at this stage. The John Wickish, whatever, because this totally fits into that same subcategory of action movies that all feel like they have the same sort of the assassin sub- revenge thrill. Yeah, that sort of sort of thing. By the way, I want to call out when I watch this on YouTube. Everyone in the comments is talking about Bandmade or some shit. I'm like, what the fuck is Bandmade? And I look it up, and it's like, um. Japanese all-female hard rock group called Bandmate are apparently appearing as themselves in this movie and it's such a big deal that everyone in the comments section who are huge super fans just keep talking about how this trailer was pretty good but I'm only here for Bandmate I'm like they're not even the fucking trailer but whatever like hardcore not in the trailer? maybe I missed them but all these are people talking about bar scene? Everyone, maybe that was them. I don't know. Fucking, I don't know. But I was, <laughs> I'm looking for the comments. I'm like, what are you talking about? Band aids, band aids, and I'm like, oh, band mate. What the hell's a band mate? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's the same if, if BTS was suddenly in something. Yeah, it, was, it would probably be the same. Why are these yeah. people so interested in behind the scenes? Well, yeah, fucking wait for the movie to be out. We get the DVD. You can look at the BTS. You know, the fucking <laughs> impatient kids these days. They want to. What they want to watch behind the scenes before the movie's out. Fucking cheeky. What do you think, think this is? Entertainment <laughs> tonight? Yeah, come on now. Because. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I thought it was a really good trailer. Uh, like that neon car. It was like a very cool visual. It was very cool. Uh, yeah. Again, I so wish I could watch that on the big screen. Watch it on the cinema, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah. Double Definitely one check out to guess double thumbs up. Coming to Netflix September 10th, I think. September 10th, yes. Uh, next one, Cinderella, <laughs> directed by Kay Cannon, starring Camilla Cabello, uh, in Idina Menzel, uh, Mini Driver, Nicholas Galassine, Gals- uh, Billy Porter, and Prius Brosnan. Cinderella is a musically bold new take on the traditional story you grew up with. Our heroine is an ambitious young woman whose dreams are bigger than the world will allow, and with- but with the help of her Fab G, she is able to persevere and make her dreams come true. Uh, Dylan, what did you think take of this take of the classic uh, Cinderella story? I had no idea this was a thing until you 
shared it and was like, let's talk about this trailer. So, yeah, I had no idea. Uh, so, I like the director. I like the cast. Yes. Um, I was enjoying the trailer. I was like, cool, musical. It's not Disney, but it feels like classic sort of Cinderella with this unique spin on it. I enjoy the whole, there's like the, they have like this teasing thing where, you know, like they do the typical Cinderella thing and then the prince is like, you know, come marry me. And she's like, I've got dreams. I got shit to do. I was like, okay, well, like <laughs> totally doing like 21st century w- woman in the Cinderella story. I'm, I'm all about this shit. And then I was like, totally into Billy Porter playing the, what's Fab G or whatever the fuck it, not the fairy godmother, whatever they're recalling that character. All about that, loved it. But then James Corden showed up and I'm like, I don't know if I can watch this anymore. He was in it for like five <laughs> seconds. <laughs> He's playing a fucking rat or a mouse. I'm like, yeah, you fucking would be, wouldn't you, mate? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fuck off. Going down the pecking order. Yeah. It kind of ruined Rabbit. it. Rabbit. Yeah, I mean. Cat. Mouse. I'm at, I'm at one up, one down. I may have given it a double thumbs up if that motherfucker hadn't showed up. Really? <laughs> no, this dud did nothing for me. <laughs> it's like, just, yeah, it doesn't look very good. And obviously going for this. Uh, modern music take. Uh, you know, it could have an interesting take, but yeah, it's a two thumbs down for me. This was. I don't know. I don't know why it was working for me. I was like, it's kind of. This is like. This is totally riding the line of like. I get cheesy, it. It's like. Cheesy middle age. It's like a pitch perfect take of. Uh, Cinderella, but. I don't know. It, it just feels like it's trying too hard, I think. Uh, Billy Porter, Dina Menzel. Fucking Pierce Brosnan, mini, mini drop. There's a bunch of people in this I'm totally about. Kate Cannon, I really like. So people, people who don't know, Kate Cannon did um, uh, pitch wrote perfect. like Pitch Perfect and some stuff like that. And then her first direct, she her first directorial movie was Blockers. We love Blockers. We love Blockers. And I'm not saying this is anything like Blockers. Well, maybe yeah, it is. We don't. That's know, a problem. Then. That would be a completely different movie. But, I mean, uh, maybe that's why I'm more into it. Because even if I was like, I don't know, the trailer was okay. Maybe I'm just being, so, my brain, I'm being, like, tricked. I'm like, I like a lot of people that are involved in this movie. Like, I like Pitch Perfect. I like Blockers. I like K. I like the cast. I'm into music. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This one's coming to, uh, to Amazon Prime. It's coming to Amazon Prime September 3. So, uh, I guess if you like that. Probably end up watching it anyway. Yeah, exactly. Uh, next up, Mogul Mowgli, uh, directed by Bassam Tariq, uh, starring Riz Ahmed, Aisha Hart, Ali Khan, Suda Bakchar, uh, Nebhan Rizwan, and Ajana Vasan. On the brink of his first international tour, Zed, a British-Pakistani rapper, decides to fly home to the UK to visit his family he's not seen in two years. In the midst of trying to reconnect with his parent, he is suddenly struck down by an autoimmune disease as his condition worsens and his break- big breakthrough moment is in danger of vanishing into thin air, Zed descends into a physical and emotional crisis amplified by vivid hallucinations. Uh, so this is a film that's kind of done the festival circuit. I believe in may have come out in the UK last year and it's kind of just got like a US push and probably uh, elsewhere push. Uh, but Dylan, what do you think of the trailer? Um, I thought the trailer was bad. But I'm into yes. the movie. So, trailer, double thumbs down. Interesting movie, one up, one down. Uh, but yeah, the trailer was just a mess. It was just fucking, just horribly edited and put together. And just, I don't know, just, I don't know what the fuck it was trying to do. Um, 
But yeah, I I hadn't when I watched this because I watched this like when it came out like a week or two ago. Whenever whenever I saw mm. a trailer for it pop up, um, I was like, "What the fuck? Why, why is Riz Ahmed like? Oh, totally like sound metal. Yeah, fuck yeah. I'll play someone who like goes uh, goes deaf. Yeah, that's totally all about that." He's like, "Well, I show my next movie. Well, I, I was playing a drummer who went deaf, so um, now I'm gonna play a rapper who gets like really sick." What the? F- what are you doing, dude? <laughs> like, fuck, have a break. No. Do, do a movie for yourself. Do a ha- uh, do one that's not. <laughs> this is one for himself. He I know, co-wrote he, this. Wrote, he wrote. He did co-wrote it. Yeah. I mean, he. I, I guess it hits closer to home because he's a he's a hip hop artist. Um, on the side or before being an actor, I guess. But he's not an actual drummer, so maybe that's the difference. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's a difference of things, but yeah, no, I, I, I'm into it. I'm, I, I think it obviously has the potential to be a, as engaging as I guess we're comparing it to Sound of Metal or, or whatever else. Like the the setup and everything's there, and we know Riz Ahmed's a really good actor and whatever else. This one seems more culturally, I guess, interesting. Specific. Yeah, specific. So that it has that factor going for it as well, which is which is interesting. So I'm into it. I just thought the trailer was shit. Yeah, the trailer is not well put together. I had a look, and it's a it is it's actually the same trailer they've used before. So obviously they think it works. It definitely reads more like a teaser because it doesn't give you any information about the plot at all. Um, for those who haven't made the effort. To go watch it. I should say, all the links to all these trailers are in the show notes below. Uh, yeah, it's just him rapping over cut footage. Um, which, it doesn't... It it really does not do anything to sell you on the film. So, But I think that this wouldn't work 12 months ago. But now, after Riz- Ahmed's Downside of Metal, you see him performing. You're like, oh, it's Riz Ahmed. I'm at least... That's enough to engage you to come in and potentially watch it. But yeah. Other than the, obviously the cultural difference and that kind of stuff. But yeah. Not a good trailer in it. In my opinion. So. But yeah. No release date for that in Australia at the moment. But yeah. I thought that's interesting. It is coming to the US September 3rd. So. Maybe sometime in the near future. Uh, next trailer. Why the Last Man. Starring Ben Schitznenner. Uh, Diane Lane, Olivia Thrillby, and Ashley Romans. Based on the DC acclaim series by Brian K. Vaughan and Pierre Guerrera, uh, the drama Why the Last Man traverses a post-apocalyptic world in which a cataclysmic event decimates every mammal with a Y chromosome, but for one cisgender man and his pet monkey. The series follows the survivors in this new world as they struggle with their efforts to restore what was lost and build something better. Uh, Dylan, were you a fan of the Why the Last Man series? I've read the first volume, and it's definitely one of those comics that are, is well regarded, and like one of the you know you look up like the best hundred comics of all time, that sort of thing. This usually is on the list, and I've always been like, I need to read that all, I need to read that all, and I've just never got okay. around to it. So I yeah. thought it was going to go the other way, and like, and I hated it. <laughs> no, I I liked it, and it was one of those ones where I think I got the first volume for cheap, probably like a couple dollars on a sale. Checked it out and I was like, cool. Instead of like buying full price for the next ones, I'll totally wait until like an omnibus is on sale or something at the time. And it just like never happened or I kept waiting and I never, I forgot or like I just, yeah. But it fell into that sort of weird pile of stuff I never got around to, but, um, well aware of the, like the, I've read those first six issues or whatever, as I said. 
years ago, I can barely remember what the hell happened, and to be honest. Uh, mm. But the, you know, it's always been this sort of famous pro comic series or movie that people, they were trying to make it into a movie like years and like what, like 10 years ago. They've been trying to make it's, this into uh, a movie for a long time. So now it's a TV series. And to be completely honest, until people started talking about this like a couple weeks ago and saying like a trailer was coming, I was like, what? They made that? Like I hadn't, I actually <laughs> I completely forgot. I know we've probably even talked about it on here at some stage. And I was like, they actually filmed that shit? It's actually a thing that's happening? Because it was such an up-down thing for years. I swear they've been trying to make it into a movie for like 10 fucking years. So the film rights were first acquired by New Line Cinema in July 2007. With DJ Caruso set to direct. Over 10 years. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, that was going to have Shia LaBeouf in the lead role. Fucking hell. <laughs> Imagine. Uh, I think this is obviously going to be better suited for a TV series because it just gets more time to explore the characters and themes. And, I don't know. It just feels like something probably is better suited as a TV show, so that's good. Uh, trailer was good. I feel like this has the potential to be quite a big hit show. Um, I found it quite funny when the trailer dropped and people on Twitter were like talking about it like it was such a... like new wave political theme like oh my god only the women survive one dude you know like this stuff i'm like this comic's old like it's it's not- it, it came out <laughs> september 2002 yeah i was like this comic's old what are you talking about like this isn't some like new age fucking left-wing agenda like what the fuck he's talking about um yeah i feel like oh, like this show's gonna be quite interesting to watch people talk about and uh react to and whatever else the trailer was really good i like the cast um, like the the monkeys in it. I don't know. I don't know. It is. I mean, it was it was, a, it was a decent trailer. It just didn't give away much. It was like literally the trailer's just like it's a decent. I'll give it the trailer one up, one down. Like it didn't blow me away, but it did the perfect job of like setting up the core premise of the show or and like the comic book, I guess, and whatever else. Because of course the trailer's basically like, hey, 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 here's everyone. Now the men die. What the fuck? Oh, the women fucking. Should we try and save men and bring them back? Now, nah, fuck you, bye, die. And then this dude, he finds a monkey. Oh, look, city's fucked. The world show. You know, like, it's not really, like, it doesn't really set up. It just, it's like a teaser trailer almost, so, to a degree. So, but, yeah, it's fine. Why not, why not now? I'm keen for the show, though. Very, very keen. Yeah. I like the trailer a bit more. I'm going to give it two thumbs up. I think, uh, obviously, I've read the entire run. Love Have you? Comic Fuck books. It's, like, one of the first, like, graphic novel series that I read that's wasn't superheroes it's like oh you can do other stuff with this just like format it's who is like, it is it brian k vaughn or is it someone else or brian k vaughn yes it is. okay so they kind of put him on the map as well so yeah. um yeah I, i'm kind of invested and obviously follow along over the several years as it's been in development uh under people you did like and people you didn't like and now obviously it's here and i think they even they shot the pilot last year with Barry Keen as Yorick, and obviously he dropped out since. So, uh, you know, even at the last hurdle, it's like you have things to happen. But I thought, obviously, set up the premise really well. Maybe a little bit on the nose with It's a Man's World, but, you know, I think it was a cool arrangement. Like, uh, you know, and, and I think it will be interesting to see the take uh, that they go, what direction they take this series. Obviously, they can tackle the subject matter in a different way than they would he Brian K. Vaughan would have in 2002 so it's it as much as I love the books 
I fully expect this to be different and hit different themes and uh, have different sort of characters and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I'm very keen. Um, I will say the other thing is the showrunners dropped out like halfway through the, like right before really? the series started filming, you know, because that always happens. Well, it's never a good sign. Yeah. So <laughs> it's never a good sign, but you know, I guess we'll see. So this uh, obviously airing in FX in America. So maybe coming to Disney Plus. It's hard to say with everything at the moment. There's no confirmation. Like you would assume it would be a Star series uh, if they want to keep well, it in house. I mean Hulu, right? Yeah. So yeah. Hulu goes the Star. Yeah. Uh. All right. Last one. House of Gucci. Uh, directed by Ridley Scott, starring Lady Gaga, Adam Driver, Jared Leto, Jeremy Irons, Jack Houston, Salma Hayek, Al Pacino. The turbulent marriage and divorce of Patrizio Maurizio Gucci, the head of Gucci Fashion House, leads to murder. Uh, Dylan, what did you think of this trailer? Um, I watched it twice a day it came out because I liked it so much. This is this is such a good trailer. So two thumbs up, three thumbs up. This is such a like well put together. <laughs> this is such wow. a well put together trailer. I thought this is like just so well paced, like the music and just like oh, this reminded me like an eighties trailer. This reminded me like of watching a trailer for fucking like Scarface or something. Yeah, shit. this feels like a like, throwback trailer. Yeah, like, it does. Like it, it doesn't look like an old movie, but just the way it's edited and um, the way it, like introduces old actors and characters and pieces, it really does. It just felt like watching an eighties drama thriller type trailer or something like that um i'm all about like jaga looks fucking amazing in this like so good can't wait to see it but i mean i'm all the rest of the cast looks awesome i'm driver of course i'm a fan of and everyone else fucking jad leto you can't even <laughs> unrecognizable <laughs> unrecognizable yeah if, if i didn't know that was jared leto i wouldn't yeah have you wouldn't believe it it's absolutely ridiculous i mean there's so many like actors in this that i'm and then obviously it's a Ridley Scott film, so I'm going to watch it anyway because it's a Ridley Scott film and Ridley Scott does really good movies like nine times out of ten, so you've got that going for you. But this is, yeah, this was a really great trailer. I can't wait to watch it. And it totally like jumps to the top of my like sort of most anticipated list very quickly. As soon as I watched it, I was like, fuck yes, give me this. This is, this is, this is my type of movie. Like this sort of like just fucking crime drama thing with really good acting for fucking 80s and whatever else yeah let's go yeah there's definitely a vibe around this that feels nostalgic and like obvious to you like like a film that we haven't had in a while uh that i think is drawing a lot of like obviously it's so focused on star power to a certain degree but it's like a story that i know nothing about but from the looks of it like i know how it ends because i didn't look it up but i already like knew the the, the call. I'm pretty like, sure he dies. <laughs> well, yeah, but I like. I know. Do you know? Well, no, I won't say. It, no, I know nothing. Like I know. I know the call. Like why and who. I know Gucci is still a thing. So yeah, <laughs> I'm sure it doesn't go too badly. So I think it was brought up in one of it. Some of it random documentary I was watching once. Like they briefly covered it, like as a side tangent, like just mentioning or whatever. So was um, the Gucci thing one one of the uh, American? No, nah, that was story. different. That was a different. That was a different fashion designer. That was a different fashion. They all get murdered. It's weird. Yeah, it murder. <laughs> uh, but yeah, two thumbs up from me. So, yeah, top of the list um, of something. I think it's gonna, obviously 
it's got huge awards buzz already. Um, did it? No, it hasn't debuted at Cannes. I thought it wasn't at Cannes, it was a net. Yeah, yeah, it's. I don't think it's debuted anywhere. Yeah, I don't think anyone's watched it yet. So, uh, I've, I've currently got like this and Pig at the top of my sort of most anticipated, which is very, very different movies, but I think they're like my two most anticipated currently. Interesting. Do you have a number one, another one for top three? Impromptu top three? I don't know. What? I, no, not that I can think of top of my head. I don't know. What's A24 got coming out? <laughs> 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 whatever that is that's my answer <laughs> what uh, else is, whatever else A24 has who else who else would I care about when's Wes Anderson's movie come out Fresh Dunes Patch later this year alright there three <laughs> let's see they got Zola coming out yeah Zola that's Dal it. Green Knight oh fuck yeah alright there's my top five <laughs> done <laughs> alright it's A24, uh, well, but- Wes Anderson, and House of Gucci. <laughs> Gucci, yeah. And Pig. And, yeah, yeah, Pig. pig, pig. Ne- but it's Neon, which is basically the upcoming A24. is producing yeah. that one. So. Cool. <laughs> All right. Uh, that brings us to the end of this episode of What Do You Want to Watch? Uh, let us know what your picks for the next Doctor are, or what, it, where on your list House of Gucci is. Uh, by going to Twitter at explosion.com slash Twitter or jump to a Discord at explosion.com slash Discord. Uh, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser or tell people about the show on Twitter or in person if you're allowed to. Uh, and if you liked this episode and thought it was worth it all, head on over to our coffee page at explosionnetwork.com slash support and buy us a coffee. Thank you very much for listening. And until next time, keep watching stuff, I guess.